Well, good morning, saints. Uh, here we are one more week that we've been uh, closed down. I hope everybody's in health and that you're uh, taking good advantage of the time that we've been given. <clears throat> uh, there is something I do want to mention. I, you probably have seen that the state of Wisconsin Supreme Court has overruled uh, Governor Evers' stay at home, and right now everything is opening up. Uh, we'll be meeting this week. I'll be talking to the church boards of both churches to find out what would be, you know, what we want to do, because it's really going to be up to us whether we open next week or the week after. That's really going to be up to us, and so we need to have that, uh, we need to have that discussion. But <clears throat> it's good to, uh, good to be able to do this anyway with, with this method of us uh, being able to meet. Uh, before I start, <clears throat> I would like you to uh, bow your heads with me. I'm going to go ahead and ask the Lord's blessing to be with us here this morning. Father, we come to you today, and <clears throat> although we're in our homes or wherever it is that we're watching this or listening to this on, Father, I pray that you'd be with us in a special way. I pray that you'd use me as an instrument, that you can speak through me, and that as we open the pages of your word, that, Father, it becomes living to us that we can internalize the message that you have for us and that our lives can be drawn closer to you. And so, Father, I pray that you would send us your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts, and that as we conclude this this morning, that we find ourselves closer to you than when we started. Father, please bless us now. Give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear. But most of all, Father, give us that heart that we can understand, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open to Genesis chapter 11. I'm reading through the Bible right now, which I'm always reading through the Bible, but I just started over here <clears throat> not too long ago. Uh, excuse me. <clears throat> and... There is a, a story here in Genesis chapter 11. Actually, it's the last few verses that really got my attention. And it begins in verse 27. It's the story of Terah. And I'm just going to go ahead and read these verses because if we were meeting as a congregation, this is how it would be. You'd have somebody up here to read this to you. But I'm going to read this this morning if you'd follow along with me. It says, this is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and of the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son, in, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife. And they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. And so the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. And so here we've got a very short uh, obituary, if you would, of Terah, the father of Abraham. Well, he's Abram at this time. His name had not been changed yet. And there he was. He was on his way to Canaan, but he never made it all the way. 
If you would look on a map, if you look in the back of your Bibles, most Bibles will have maps back there, and you will see that what they were doing is they were following what was known as the Fertile Crescent. And as they went north out of Ur of the Chaldees, they worked their way up north, and just about to where the top is, where they'd start coming down on the other side, it was, you would see there the land of, or the place called Haran. And that's where Terah died. Now, he was close. He was close to the Promised Land, but he didn't quite make it. He was not close enough because death overtook him before he could reach the promised land. The title of the sermon this morning is Stopping Short of the Promised Land. And as we read this, there are, there are several questions that I think press themselves on our minds. The number one question is, how far may a person go toward the land of Canaan and yet be like Terah, die in Haran? And we think of Lot's wife. You know the story of Lot. Lot had looked, it says that he cast his eyes towards Sodom, is the way the King James says it. He saw that the land there was fair. He looked at the commerce. He looked at the financial benefits that he would get from being there in the cities of the plain. And so he moved his family there. He started outside the city, but eventually he found himself inside the city. Well, the wickedness of the cities of the plain had reached up to God. God was sending judgment on them, and he sent two angels. They went into Lot's house, and they told him, listen, God's going to destroy this place. You need to get out of here and go get your family together and get them out. And so he went to his sons-in-laws. He went to the others that were in his family, and they mocked him. They, they, They looked at him like he had lost his mind. And so he went back, and they really didn't want to leave. And the Bible says it got to a point where they had to literally grab a hold of them and usher them out of the city. And they says, listen, go, flee to the mountains, get out of here, because, and don't turn around and look back. Well, you guys know the story of what happened. Lot's wife, you see, she left Sodom. They went a good distance out of Sodom, but they never made it to the place of refuge. In fact, Genesis chapter 19, verse 26 says, but his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. And so there they were, they were on their way out, but you see, they didn't quite make, she didn't quite make that full trip. I think about God's people when they left Egypt, when the children of Israel, when they left Egypt, after God had miraculously delivered them, the Bible says that 600,000 men, not including women and children, 600,000 men left Egypt and they were headed to the promised land. But 599,998 did not make it, only two, Joshua and Caleb, actually made it into the land of Canaan. You know, as I think about these, these stories, I think that God's people are in a similar danger today as, as, as we're in these last days. If it were not so, then why would Jesus have given a warning in Luke chapter 17 and verse 32 where he said, remember Lot's wife? You see, the problem is you can be physically out of Sodom, but your heart can still be there. You see, you can be physically in the church, but your heart can still be in the world. And so we've got this warning, we've got these examples of what takes place. In in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 
In verses 6 to 11, uh, this, is, this is a really quite a, quite a statement that Paul makes because it gives us the reason for the word of God. You know, <clears throat> this is not the only things. You look at the Old Testament, that's not the only things that happened to the children of Israel over those hundreds and hundreds of years. It's very condensed, and the stories that are in there were given for a specific reason. It doesn't tell us every story, everything that ever happened, but it does focus on these few stories that we have, and there's a reason for that. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. This is 1 Corinthians now, chapter 10, verses 6 through 11. <clears throat> Verse 6 says, Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust or desire after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor, you know what the next word is? Nor complain. Of course, none of us would ever complain, none of us would ever grumble. We would never, you know, none of us would ever do anything like that. But he warns that just in case somebody would. He says, nor complain as some of them complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, he begins in verse 6. He says, these things became our examples. And now he really expands on that in verse 11. He says, now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition. That's our instruction for our understanding. And then he qualifies who it's especially for upon whom the end of the ages have come. You see, these stories have special application for us living today. The lessons that were learned there, if we don't learn those lessons, we are going to suffer needlessly. And so we've got to look at these things and we've got to look at this. Well, how does this really apply to me? He says, now these things were our example to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they did. And then he finishes up, he says, now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of world are come. So I'm looking at this, so, well, some are, what are some of the dangers that really impede? What are some of the things that come up that get us sidetracked? What are some of the things that hold us back from making it all aware, the, the, the progress of the, of the children of God making it towards the heavenly Canaan. Well, I think the first one is we can get all caught up in the pleasures and sins of the world. That, I think that's one of the biggest obstacles that we're faced with today. When uh, my wife and I were living in Alaska, <clears throat> we had the pleasure of doing Bible studies with a young couple. In fact, when we started doing Bible studies with them, they weren't married. Uh, the young man had an interesting story because <clears throat> he ended up in the Air Force. They were both in the Air Force. And the young man was told by a judge that you have a choice. You can either enlist in the, in the military or I will provide housing for you. And the housing is not the kind of housing that a person would really want to go to because you're kept in there by steel bars. And so he thought that the lesser of two evils definitely would be going to the military. The judge was hoping that going in the military would give him a, a, a better prospect of, of a future <clears throat> in this life. And so he, he ends up, he goes into the Air Force, and we met them up in Alaska. In fact, when the, uh, well, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Before he left, before he went in the military, Somebody, somebody in the family, I can't remember if it was a grandmother or somebody, but they gave him his grandmother's Bible. 
And so there he is, he's up in Alaska, and he's looking at this, at this Bible, and he starts going through this Bible, and as he goes to the back part of the Bible, there is a whole set of Bible studies in there. And so he begins looking at those, and the Bible studies were written by somebody you may have heard of, his name was HMS Richards. And so he's going through these studies, and he comes up to the Sabbath. And he's looking at this, and this is just, this is just blowing this guy away. He, he had never heard anything like that. And so he goes over to this girl that he'd made friends with. They weren't dating or anything. They were just friends. They worked together. He knocks on her door, and he hands her the Bible, and he says, check this out. And I can't remember if it was weeks. I don't know if it was a month. I don't know how long of a period of time passed by. But she looked at that study, and she began searching, trying to disprove the Seventh-day Bible Sabbath. <clears throat> she gets back with him. She says, listen, she says, I have looked at this. I have looked at this. I have looked at this. This is true. I can't find anything wrong with this. And we met them when they showed up for church. They called the pastor up. I was not in the ministry at the time. <clears throat> they called the pastor up on Friday. She called the pastor up on Friday night. He gets up Sabbath morning and, and to, to welcome. It was a big church. There was a lot of people in there. <clears throat> and he says, um, he says, I got an interesting phone call last night. He said, a young lady called me up, and she gave me one of the best Bible studies that I've had on the Sabbath. She really was. I mean, she was very thorough. She put the whole thing together and gave me the Bible study. And he says, they're here this morning, and he says, just want to welcome you, and uh, you know, pray you have a blessed day. And so uh, then that's when my wife and I, we made friends with them that day. We began studying the Bible with them, and they ended up, they ended up you know, becoming, they were baptized, and they ended up, they started dating, and they got married. <clears throat> they had a little baby together. The unfortunate thing is that you see, the entanglements of the world, oh, they had, they had gotten out. They were discharged out of the, uh, out of the military, of honorable discharge. They got out on conscientious reasons. And so they were there making their living, living there in Anchorage, Alaska. The unfortunate thing was that this young man, after he had a wife, after he had a baby, he went right back to that old life. And he got all tangled up in that old life. And finally, what he did was he left his wife, he left his baby, and he disappeared somewhere off. The last time I, I talked to her, she was just, she was taking care of the child by herself. And you know, see, this is where, the, you know, the old life comes back, and if we're, if we're not really focused on getting to that heavenly Canaan, that's what happens. That's what happens. We get sidetracked, we get distracted, we get pushed off to the side. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 10, <clears throat> Paul says here, he says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. You see, the way was rough. The way was hard following Paul around. And Demas didn't think it was worth it. You see, he, he, he looked at it and he goes, you know, this can't, be, this can't be the way it should be. And off he went. And he took off and left Paul there alone. In 1 John chapter 2, Verses 15 and 16, John says here, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. You know, there's this warning over and over about loving the world. And at the same token, John 3.16 says that God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son. And what they're talking about here is not the people, it's, it's talking about the ways of the world because the ways of the world that we see all around us is not following in the ways of God. And God loves the people so much that he gave his only son. Another thing that I think rises up is the cares of life. The cares of life, just the, just the stresses of life, the cares of life, that's another snare that the devil, devil throws out to try to trip us up, to try to pull us in so that we will turn away from God. He wants to slow down. Whatever God's people are doing, he wants to slow down the direction that they're going in because he does not want them to be able to follow God and to be forever secure in his kingdom. We, uh, my first district, <clears throat> my first district, I was in Joplin, Missouri. And we, uh, we decided we needed new carpeting, and so we, we took some bids and we hired this guy. They came in and did an excellent job. Man, we moved out all the pews and everything. Just really, really worked well. And he, um, we, I became friends with the guy, got to know him. And a little while later, we had a lot of stormy weather and uh, the drains backed up, and we ended up with over a foot of water down in the basement. In our basement, we had a fellowship hall, a kitchen. There was a couple of Sabbath school rooms down there. But... Anyways, everything had to be tore out and redone, and he did that. I mean, that's what he did. So we went ahead, we hired him to be able to, uh, you know, to, to take care of that. Um, there was a period of time, I got to know this guy, we, we became friends, and we were having quite a few conversations. In fact, we had some very deep spiritual conversations, and I, I finally asked him, I, says, <clears throat> I said, well, what church do you attend? And he goes, well, <clears throat> he says, um, I, I really don't attend any church. I said, Really? You know, I said, but, but all, this, all this that you're telling me, I said, you don't have any, any you know, fellowship that, that, that you go to? He goes, no. And then this is what he told me. I don't have time for God. I don't have time for God. You know, that haunted me. That haunted me. I, I don't believe I ever saw him again after he made that statement. We, you know, I don't know, I don't know why, but we never, we never did see each other again. But he said, I don't have time for God. You know, a, th a thought came to me. If we don't have time for God, what makes us think God is going to have time for us? You know, relationships are two-way streets. Relationships are not just one person giving to another. A relationship, just the, the, the word itself, says that there's an interaction, that there are, there are people or, or, or what in the case with us, with God, there's interaction that we are connecting with him. And so he connects with us, we connect back with him. I don't have time for God, the man told me. You know, that's a heavy thought, <clears throat> a heavy thought. But yet, but yet, you know, people say, well, I don't have time for God, but yet he expected God to save him at the last day. And I'm not saying whether he's saved or lost. I'm not going to pass judgment on it. That's up to God. But I tell you one thing, if we don't have time for God, I think it's very arrogant to think that we're very presumptuous to think that God has to have time for us. In Luke chapter 21, verses 34 and 35, <clears throat> Jesus warns about being caught up with the, the things of the world. He says, but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. Now that day is a capital in the New King James Version because he's talking about the day of his coming. He's talking about the second coming, okay? So he says, take heed to yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, 
drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth. You see, it'll fall on all those who are not really paying attention, those who are not really going to the land of Canaan. Let me tell you something. When the, when the children of Israel got to the borders of Canaan, they knew where they were at. They knew they were about to enter in. Brothers and sisters, look around. Look around. As, as I look around and I see prophecy fulfilling all around us, we are on the borders. That doesn't mean I think we're going to be there next week. But I'm telling you what, it's within sight. I really believe that we are getting very, very close uh, to that. Another thing that I see that, we can, uh, that can hinder us is an unwillingness to put away our secret sin. That's another barrier to progress. I was visiting with a, a lady, a church member, who had a certain issue in her life, and I was talking to her about it. And we had quite a long discussion, and she was telling me this, and she was telling me that, and finally we got to the real the crux of the matter and why I was there. And she looked at me, and she says, listen, everybody's got their sin. This is my sin. She says, you know, if people don't like it, that's too bad. She says, Nobody has the right to tell me what my sin is or that I should get rid of my sin. It's nobody's business what my sin is. And I told her, I says, well, <clears throat> you know, I can see where you could think it's nobody's business, but it's definitely God's business. It's God's business when we're doing something that's in violation of his principles. I mean, that's what, that's what we're going to be judged on. But that, but that attitude, that attitude. You see, if we cling to sin, it is like trying to go out swimming with a weight belt around your waist. You may be able to swim for a while, but eventually, you know what? That weight is going to pull you down. Tie an anchor around your leg and just go ahead and jump in the water and see how that works out for you. But that's what sin does. Sin holds us down, it drags us back, and it keeps us from advancing, from getting closer and closer to Jesus. Sin cannot be in the presence of God. And so we've got to understand that. Uh, Ellen White said that one sin, um, one sin cherished nullifies all the power of the gospel. One sin cherished. Now listen, I'm not talking about when we're struggling with sin. God, God works with us and he gives us a victory over that. He continues to work with us and he'll give us a strength. But if we say, I rather have my sin than God like this lady was, you see, that's a real problem. That's a real problem. God can't do anything about that. God will never take anything away from us that we're not willing to give him. We always have that choice. We have the choice that we can either walk away from him, we can walk to him. We have the choice we can either give it to him or we can keep it to ourselves. The problem is there are, there are consequences for each one of those decisions. And so while God gives us free choice, you see, he allows us then to make that choice, but he also allows us to bear the penalty of, those, of those, the consequences of, that, of those choices. In, in Hebrews chapter 12, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 6. This is, one of my, this, this is a great verse. <clears throat> he says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a crowd of, cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every... What's the next word? Wait. Wait. Why? Because it's going to pull you under the water. He says, Let us lay aside every weight and this sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 
And then he gives us how that takes place, how we can do that. He said, by beholder, he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, Jesus didn't stop short. He didn't get right up to Calvary and then say, you know what, I've changed my mind. He didn't get up when he, was, when he was with the disciples at the Last Supper. He says, I've been waiting for this Passover to take place. This is what his whole life was about. He could have stopped at any time, but Jesus, he didn't stop short. Because you see, had Jesus stopped short, you and I could never see the promised land, and he knew that. And so he gave himself so that we could do that. Jesus went all the way. Now let's go to verse 3. Oh, there is a, there is a Bible principle and that is by beholding we become changed. And that's why Paul says here, he says, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. Why? Because by, by beholding Jesus, we'll be changed to be more like him. You see, it doesn't matter what we're beholding. Whatever it is that we're beholding, we will be changed into that likeness. And I can give you a good example of that. If you look at what the violence and the immorality in the United States and what we call entertainment and what people are watching and don't think that doesn't have an effect on it. Because by beholding, you become changed. By beholding, whatever it is, whatever it is, if you're beholding evil, you'll become evil. If, you become, if you're beholding Jesus, you become more and more like Jesus. Now, verse 3. Verse 3. It says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. He says, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked from him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Now, if we were in here as a congregation, I would ask right now, so how many of you enjoy the chastening of the Lord? I'd ask you to raise your hand, and I would not raise mine, because I am like you. I don't like to get the chastening of the Lord either. None of us do. But you know what? It's for our own good. When we're going through experiences, what God is doing is he's revealing to us the flaws in our character. He's revealing to us so that we can know what we need to do, what we need to give to Jesus and let him work on that with us. And so we aren't to, dis <laughs> we aren't to uh, despise the chastening of the Lord as hard sometimes as what that is. In Acts chapter 24 and in uh, verse 25, <clears throat> uh, there's a story there about procrastination. And you know what, friends? <clears throat> there are going to be more people in the lake of fire because of procrastination, I think, than any other reason. I really do. People put off. They put off. They wait for a better time. They wait for another time. This is the story of Paul here. He is speaking to Felix. Uh, the King James Version says that Felix trembled. The, the conviction was so strong on him that, that he was trembling as Paul spoke to him. Listen to what he says. Now as he, that's Paul, reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. That convenient time, we have no record of that convenient time ever taking place. We have no idea whether Felix ever made a decision or, or anything like that. <clears throat> Years ago, before I was in the ministry, I was at home, and uh, there was a young man that, that he and his wife had joined the church, and we were friends with them. 
And uh, he was working, a, he was a factory worker. <clears throat> and he called up, he said, hey, he says, I need to come out and talk to you. Is that okay? I said, well, sure, come on out. <clears throat> and so it was, it was night. I remember it was dark out when, uh, when he got there. And the factory he was working was not a really a high-paying factory. Uh, he grew up in a home where his father worked in the top-paying factory in that whole area. I mean, they were just, they would make almost twice as much as what he was making in the factory he was working in. And his whole life goal, he wanted to work in that factory. And so he, you know, he, well, he kept putting his application, putting his application. But, but before this guy became a Seventh-day Adventist, he had, he, he was just a real rounder. I mean, this guy was in trouble all the time. He was fighting and brawling and drinking and just, I mean, he was just a real, in a lot of trouble. And they would not hire him because of that. They didn't want to hire a problem. And so they would not hire him. And, and so he kept applying, kept applying, kept applying. Well, after he became a Seventh-day Adventist, all that stuff left. And he wasn't drinking anymore. He wasn't brawling anymore. He was a good family man. He had a wife and a child. I mean, things, things really seemed to be coming together for him. And, and he, was, he was very active in the church. Well, that factory called up. <clears throat> and they said, uh, we want you to come in for an interview. And so he went in for this interview. And they said, listen, we've noticed that your whole life has really changed. And uh, they offered him a job. <clears throat> but the caveat to that was that not only did they offer him a job, but he would have to work like every other Sabbath. Every other weekend, he would have to work. And so he came out to talk to me. <clears throat> and uh, I don't know if he thought that I could give him permission. I said, you know, that one's way above my pay grade. You're going to have to go up a lot higher than, than what I am if, if you want absolution for that. I can't do that. And, uh, and, he, and so he's telling me all about this, and he's telling me what he's going to be able to do. And he says, you know, he says, then when I, he says, when I retire, I'm going to have time to really work for the Lord. You know, if in a convenient time, I'll call for you. And he kept explaining to me all the reasons. You know, I can provide for my family in a way that I've never been able to do. And, and he went on and on and on and on about it. And I says, now listen, let me tell you what's going to happen. <clears throat> I said, I'm a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet, but... You know, I've seen been around enough to see human nature and to understand how these things go. I said, let me tell you what's going to happen. <clears throat> I said, if you take this job, you'll start working, and when you can come to church, you're going to come to church. And people aren't going to see you. You know, they, they haven't seen you for a week or maybe two weeks or maybe three weeks or whatever it is, and when they see you, they go, oh, man, it's good to see you. We've really missed you. And in your mind, you're going to think, well, they don't really miss me. They're just wanting to, they're judgmental. They're being judgmental of me. And pretty soon, you will think that they are the problem, and you'll stop coming to church altogether. Let me tell you what will happen. <clears throat> I said, you'll grow further and further away. You go right back to your old life. You're going to go further and further away. And when the time comes, in the time of trouble, and they're rounding up Seventh-day Adventists. They're going to need people who can identify the Seventh-day Adventists in your area, and you'll be one of the ones that are going to be turning in the, the church members into the authorities. Now, he was a big man. He was a big man. In fact, he was one of the two strongest men I ever met in my life, and I met some pretty powerful guys when I was in construction and stuff. I saw this guy lift up things that I thought no human being should be able, be able to pick up and carry. Um, but anyways... <clears throat> He looked at me, he took that big fist and he smacks it down on the counter in my kitchen, stuck his finger in my face. He says, I will never do that to use guys. Think about what he just said. See, he'd already separated himself from God's people. I will never do that to you guys. 
Well, he took the job, and what happened was he ended up quit, quit going to church. I asked somebody oh, several years later, because we moved away. We were, in another, we were in another state, and I asked him, hey, I said, have you heard, what's he doing? And I said, it looks like he's going to prison. He uh, was in a bar, got in a brawl. Uh, the police came at, to arrest him, and he got pretty violent with the police, and it looks like he's going to prison for a while. And um, <clears throat> now there's a, there is a silver lining to the story. He did come to his senses, and he did give himself back to Jesus, and he's back in the church today. So that's, that's a good news. But you see, in that convenient time you put off, he was putting off. He says, you know, when I retire, I'll be able to do this, and then I'll be able to pay tithe, and I'll be able to do all these other things. Um, that's, not, uh, that, that's not the way. We need to follow God now. And as he's leading us, we need to be walking in the steps that he's leading us on. Another thing that I see is that <clears throat> uh, we have a natural aversion. Romans 8, 7 says, The carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. You see, we are born at enmity with God. We, have a car- we are born with a carnal nature. And we have this aversion that when, when God says, This is what I want you to do, that old carnal nature tries to rise up and get us to go in a different way. There's a, there's a real dislike, a real... Um, um, a propensity to not walk that straight and narrow road, and that's what holds us back from our march toward the kingdom of heaven. It's kind of like a race car driver. You may have seen this. Race car driver is he's ahead in the pack and he's leading and he's he's in the winner slot. He's in the winner slot. All he has to do is get across the finish line, but he never stopped to fuel up when he should have. And he ran out of gas before he got to the line, and everybody else went across the line except for him. See, we've got to be careful that that doesn't happen uh, to us. Uh, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, he says, enter by the, which gate? The narrow gate. He doesn't say enter by the broad gate. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. You know, there's an interesting twist that's happened in Christianity today, and it's just twisted the words of Jesus completely around. And that is, listen, <laughs> it's, it's easy. It's, everything is fine. If there's any opposition, if there's any, anything at all, you can know that that's not God. It, it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the gate into heaven that's the wide open gate, and it's a broad way. It's not the narrow way. You don't have to go on narrow. Don't even worry about it. The, uh, <clears throat> when I was in, down in Missouri, I, there was an elderly gentleman that I made friends with. I'd stop by and visit him. And he told me one day, he says, you know, he says, <clears throat> uh, he says, I'm running $200 a month short. He was in his 80s, he was well retired. He says, I'm, I'm running $200 a month short. And I said, really? And he says, yeah, I said, I've got to find some way. And I think he was trying to get the church to give him $200 a month. He wasn't a church member. And, uh, and I said, okay. And I says, well, and I know he was a smoker. The guy smoked. And so I asked him, I go, well, how many, how many packs of cigarettes do you smoke a day? He said, well, I limit myself to two packs. I said, okay, two packs of cigarettes. I said, all right. And I said, well, how much do those cigarettes cost? He says, I don't buy the name brands. He says, I buy the cheapest cigarettes I can find. They're three and a half dollars a pack. And so the math started clicking in my head. I goes, well, you know, two packs a day, $7 a day, 30 days in a month, $210. I told him, I said, man, it's $210. There's your 200 bucks right there. And what he told me. And I says, and you get the benefit of health. 
You get the benefit of health. And he looked at me and he says, well, he says, if it comes between buying food or buying cigarettes, I'm going to buy the cigarettes and go hungry. And I looked at him and I says, well, I says, I won't give you a dime. I said, because every dime that I give you, you're going to put into cigarettes and you're going to kill yourself with the cigarettes. I can't do it. I have a moral objection to, uh, to doing that. I would not be helping you at all by doing that. You see, narrow is a way. Narrow is a gate and difficult is the way. In fact, he came to church a few times and I stopped over to see him and he says, you know, he says, I don't think I should do this anymore. And I said, why not? He says, I've had nothing but bad luck since I've, I've gone to church. And I says, really? I said, that should really let you know you're on the right course. <laughs> it's just, if you're going the right way, the devil's going to do everything he can to keep you from doing that. Don't fall for his, uh, for his uh, uh, trappings on that. <clears throat> well, third point I want us to consider on this subject is one of sorrow and regrets. <clears throat> I knew a, knew a man I was very close to, very, very close to, and he, 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 he dwelt so much on what didn't go right, uh, opportunities that he missed, uh, the regrets that he had. In fact, he, he felt he was a failure uh, in life. He was a failure in, in, in a lot of things. Um, you know, think about those who, who stop short of the kingdom of God or getting into the heavenly kingdom. You know, they start out on the journey, but then they leave God's people and they stop short of the promised land. You know, sometimes we think everything has to go our way, and if, and if it isn't, if it doesn't, then God can't be in it. I mean, think about that. You know, and I've, I've, I've talked with people who say, well, God can't be in us. Look at the opposition that we're facing. You know, look at the opposition that we're facing. Uh, they've never been an evangelist, I'll tell you that. Um, in, in evangelism, actually in evangelism, if there is an opposition, I'm really wondering, what are we doing wrong? <laughs> because we're doing something right. There's always that, uh, there's always that, uh, that pushback. You know, think about the Apostle Paul. You know, if anybody had opposition, think about Paul. You know, he was, he was whipped, scourged a couple of times. He was beaten with rods. He was stoned. You know, that's not exactly going out on a picnic lunch. You know, when, when people are trying to crush your skull with stones, in fact, they thought he was dead when they left him. Uh, he had Jews that had sworn to kill him. In fact, they swore that they weren't going to eat until he was dead. There were people actually hunting him down. He was thrown in prison two different times. And finally, finally, he was let out and beheaded. Now, I would call that opposition. I would call it opposition. I would call that that is not the easy route to be able to take. And of course, we've got the, the story of Jesus himself. You know, Jesus, he, was, he, was, he wasn't even accepted by his own brothers until after he was dead. But I mean, you know, he, 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 he had opposition his whole life, you know, just the manner of his birth. And he, he heard that, that was thrown in his face. His whole life he was growing up, you know, well, hey, we know who our father is. Do you know who your father is? Opposition every place he turned. He went back to, he went back to Nazareth. They're going to throw him off a cliff. You know, it's just if, if we're going to go by that, if we're going to go by that, uh, we'll definitely miss out on the way to go. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17 says, A dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. When the dragon is wroth, 
that's when we're doing the right thing. When the dragon is quiet, we need to really be looking and say, what are we not doing right here? Because we should have that experience. That war is going on, brothers and sisters. The war is going on for me and you. They, the devil wants nothing more than for us to back off and stop. He doesn't care how we don't make it into the promised land. All he cares is that we don't make it in the promised land, that we end up in the lake of fire. But we all know, we all know people that have been members of God's family. Uh, they maybe have had a part in the activities of the church, maybe even that held offices in the church. But at the end of their journey, they lose out because they fall short of the promised land. Think about the anguish that they will have. The Bible says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, and especially when they know that it was their own fault. So Terah died in Haran, Genesis says. The family unit was interrupted there. Terah was no longer there. That fellowship that they enjoyed was gone, all because of death. You know, it, life shows us that when death comes, everything stops. All our plans, all our hopes, all our desires, all the opportunities we had, it ends right there. But brothers and sisters, I'm telling you today, what's far worse than physical death is spiritual death. You see, every person, every person is either dead in sin or they are dead to sin. And there's a big difference in that. Every person, doesn't matter who you meet, where they are, every person on this planet, they're either one of the other, either dead to sin or they're dead in sin. And to be dead in sin is a is a, a tragedy, a tragedy of great magnitude. You know, you think about the prodigal son. The prodigal son had everything there and he left. And it wasn't until he was at his very lowest that he realized, and then he turned around and went back to his father. In the story of Jesus, we got uh, actually the story of Judas. <clears throat> In Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 to 5, it says, When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. When they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. And Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. You see, once they had used Judas for what they wanted to get out of him, they could have cared less what happened to Judas. They didn't care about Judas in the first place. It was bribery. You know what that 30 pieces of silver was? That's the price of a slave. Judas sold Jesus for the price of a slave. But Judas had a problem with money. You can read through the Gospels. Judas had a problem with money all the way through. And verse 5 says, Then he threw down the piece of silver in the temple and departed. He went and hanged himself. Judas died in despair, knowing that he had betrayed the innocent Son of God. And he went to his grave, and ever since that time, he has, his name has had just a terrible association with that. You know, some people allow one sin to keep them out of the kingdom of heaven. Judas loved money. Like I said, that was the, the price of a slave. And he, his love of money allowed him to commit the crime of the ages. Some of the greatest compromised by God's people have been over money. It's been simply over money. And so the question I've got, if the curtain of your life were dropped today, and you could see the, 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 the epitaph of your life, 
and would say, Jane or Joe Christian died right at the borders of the kingdom of heaven. How would you feel about that final verdict of your life? You see, it doesn't have to be that way because we can resolve right here, right now to make sure that we're going to reach that promised land. All we have to do is just keep on looking to Jesus, keep holding his hand. He will guide us all the way through. Is it going to be easy? Probably not. But the, but the benefit, the reward, is so far over anything that we could imagine, it's not worth missing out on. This is what the Apostle Paul says. And this is something I think we could actually read very prayerfully in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. He says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so he says, therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind. If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. And so Paul, you know, what, what Paul is telling us here, he says, you know, he didn't consider himself to have apprehended. But what he did do is he forget about those things that were behind because that's what happens. You know, when we turn around, just like Lot's wife, turn around and look behind, you see, then the devil has that way of getting a hold of us. You know, one of the things I tell people in evangelistic series is that God is not so concerned about your past as he is your future. And so don't let your past drag you down when God wants to give you a glorious future. Keep looking to him so that you can receive that. And so the question is, where is our heart today? You know, when the sun goes down, here's one that we can look at. When the sun goes down on Friday evening... When the sun goes down, are we looking forward to the next 24 hours with, with joy and excitement as having special, special relationships, special fellowship with God? Or are we looking at our watch and saying, wow, I've only got 23 hours and the sun will go down and I can go out and start having fun again. What's our attitude towards that? Where's our heart today? You know, brothers and sisters, we need to be on our knees pleading with God to give us his grace that we don't stop short, but that we make it all the way to the kingdom. You know, if there is a song that Seventh-day Adventists should be the mantra for Seventh-day Adventists, it is this, this world is not our home. We are just passing through. Our treasures are all laid up somewhere beyond the blue. This is not the world God wants us to have. We will inhabit this earth one day, that's true, but it's, nothing going to be, or it's not going to be anything like what we have here right now. You know, when Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees, he wasn't looking for a place to go and grow grapes. He wasn't looking for a place that he could, that he could graze his sheep. Hebrews says that he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And so, brothers and sisters, don't let the devil dissuade you from your goal. Keep up the good fight like Paul said. He said, I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith and received that crown of righteousness from the hand of Jesus. Look forward to hearing those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your Lord. Let's pray. Father, Father, I pray that you would be with us as we you know, contemplate what we have talked about here this morning. Sometimes we look out and it seems like, it seems like the land of Canaan is so far away, but Father, it's really, it's very close. It can be so close that we can close our eyes and when we open it up, we'll see you coming. 
And so, Father, I pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would cause your Holy Spirit to strive with us. Show us the way that we are to walk. Keep us on that straight and narrow towards that gate that leads to eternity. I pray, Father, that we don't get entrapped by the things behind us, but that we'll stay focused on you. That all of us, every one of us, every person that is hearing this or watching this, everyone will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, bless us now to that end, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.